Thank you so much for listening to The Deep in 2023. For fresh content that never stops, subscribe to The Deeper and take advantage of our 14-day free trial. Here on The Deep over the holiday season, I'll be sharing some interviews I've done with other amazing podcasts, me being the one interviewed, so it's a little bit different, and a few of my all-time favourite episodes. I hope you enjoy, have a merry festive season and stay safe. Kia ora and welcome to Untidy, the podcast that's all about honouring the person within the parent. I'm Matilda Green, author of The Feel Good Guide and mum to two small children. And I'm Hannah Davison, author and co-founder of the My Big Moments children's book range, also a mum to two slightly bigger children. So if you've been listening for a while, you know that this show is your space to be unfiltered, unapologetic and unashamed about what can sometimes be bloody untidy. Um, If you're new to the show... No my hearty my welcome and stick around because this show is made for you and also with you, the people right at the heart of the steaming hot mess we call parenthood. Steaming hot mess indeed. <laughs> but today on the show, we're really lucky to be joined by Zoe Marshall. She's a media personality, creator of the Deep Podcast, and self-described oversharer, which I mean, she's in the right place. We love an overshare. And first up, this is a bit of a content warning. The conversation we're having with Zoe is largely around her experience of surviving domestic violence. So we're going to be talking about how she got drawn into that situation, how these people trap you and why it can be so hard to get out. So some of this may be triggering. So please check in with yourself and choose a time and a place to listen that's right for you. And if you or someone you know are experiencing domestic abuse, we're going to be putting some resources in our show notes for places you can reach out to for help. You might be familiar with Zoe from her podcast, The Deep. And if you haven't had a listen, do check it out. These are gritty conversations from people whose stories are going to blow your mind. This is the stuff you may be always wondered about but had actually no way of finding out what these lives are like well let me tell you Zoe really goes there and uh, we started by asking Zoe about how it feels to talk with people about such intense subjects which they have often never talked to anyone else about before that is the priority when we're choosing the right guest for the deep because we deal with a lot of trauma, a lot of, um, I guess we like to give a platform to misunderstood, judged minority, you know, individuals that have never had a platform to share their story. I would say 90% of the guests, it's their first time ever sharing, but that is, um, the most important way for (laughs) these people are the ones that I kind of you know lean towards because they're the ones that deserve to have their voices here we 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 get a lot of people that take up a lot of space in the media I'm not interested in sharing those stories you've already had an opportunity people you've got maybe a platform these are the people like walking amongst us that you would never know but have these incredible stories to tell. So, yeah, I would say majority of the ones that never said or shared their story before. I have to also say, I'm sorry, this is TMI, but I have my period and it is so heavy and wild and my brain is not in my head. So if I'm a bit strange today, that's why. Apologies. 
That's totally fine. That's okay. And we don't have TMI on this show. <laughs> it's all TMI. Because I am just flooding. I was like, let's a double whammy, oh. you know, a maternity pad and your period undies and let's go. I have this thing I call the dark night of the hole where it's just like 24 to 36 hours where it's just like almost not worth leaving home. Well, no. <laughs> it's, it's too risky. I actually did this incredible episode. It's not out yet on honoring our bleed. And now I've got this incredible assistant that works with me. I'm trying to, as much as I can, revolve my day or two, you know, in those those wild days of bleeding where I am at home. Like I haven't gotten to the point of free bleeding yet because, you know, there's someone else sometimes in the room and that's not appropriate. But that would be amazing to experience, like free bleeding. Have you done that? So is that just like you don't wear pads or anything? You just you just bleed over the house. Is that you just bleed on a um like a splash blanket? You like bleed on something, but yeah. you have no pants oh. on. Oh wow! I've ne- no, I've never tried. I'm I'm like I rock the 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 period disc and the period undies on those days. Disc, but is the disc like, the cup? Yeah, it's it's like the cup, but it's like the next evolution of the cup. Oh, and so it's like, yeah, it's like this bowl. This, yeah, it's like a shallow bowl, and you you put it in, and then you tuck it behind your pubic bone, and you can have sex with it, Ugh. which I wouldn't be doing on a very heavy day anyway, because it's just, it would just like, be grim. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but I haven't even done those days with just period undies because I'm like, I just I just don't feel confident that they would even handle it. I know. And do you know something though that I don't mm. think we ever admit is like I actually really enjoy this day. Like for so long we've been told that this is dirty, disgusting, a burden, you know, you're bitchy, you can't operate in the world like everybody else. And now I just realize that, yeah, I'm a little bit dissociated. My body is feeling like being super sloth-like and slow, but I am actually like relishing in the joy of like the bleed, like I actually enjoy it, which I've never said aloud or honoured in myself. And I don't think many of us allow ourselves to enjoy our bleed. Like it's actually such a beautiful time of the month where we just get to soften, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And also like it, it, it brings you kind of um, into this like internal space where you just become yeah. really internal and like you're kind of, nourishing yourself and giving yourself a little hug and looking after yes. yourself. It feels really nice, you know. It's yes. actually really nice to to honour that time. It really is. But I did yeah. want to say that is why I might not find my words or make sense. So we just have to be in the weirdness of the bleed today. Apologies. Yes. Well, well this is where we are. And we'll just enjoy where we are. Yeah, and and our, <laughs> our our podcast is called Untidy. We can barely string two sentences together at the best of times. So um, it's on don't brand. Worry it's yeah. on brand. Yeah, one hundred percent. The great thing is, is that like to stay on brand, we just like we don't have to do anything different. <laughs> this can be turn up exactly as we are. We're like, this was genius. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have that. just like a brand that is really messy, and then. You can just do what you want. Um, yeah. But back to the deep, Zoe, um, how do you find your guests? Because some of them I, I'm i listening and it's like, how how do you come across these yeah. people? Yeah. So, well, I, you know, it was created from a deep curiosity. Like I'm a Louis Theroux tragic and 
really got started on his documentaries and was this kind of insatiable need then to find all the weird and wonderful people of the world. So a lot of the guests I have had a bizarre I guess, obsession with over the years and then got them on or or the theme I've been obsessed with. And then I guess we got such a cult following that people started offering up their own stories. So every single week we'll have multiple uh, DMs or emails saying, can I share my story? So it's become very effortless. I do have a researcher that finds certain people you know, that I want to talk to like a vampire or, um, you know, somebody that survived a high school shooting, things like that, that's a little bit harder to get. But a lot of the time I'll think, oh, I'd really love to speak to someone that knew someone in the um, Port Arthur massacre. And then bang, she like drops into my you know, my email and she's like, hey, I lost my mom in the Port Arthur massacre. And I'm like, oh, how did that happen? Wow. Yeah. So I think some of it's a little woo-woo, like, you know, manifested, and then some of it's just offered to us. We're very grateful that people feel like I do a good enough job to hold a safe space for them. Like that's that's really a privilege. That, that's an honour for people to go, hey, I've never said this thing in 20 years. It's my deepest, darkest story. Can I be anonymous? Can I share? You know? That's and pretty great. That's amazing. And have you always felt that you've had that as a gift, like being being able to be that person that people can feel like they can op- open up to so easily? Yeah, I think it's just always been my thing that, you know, I'll be in the grocery store or I'll be at, you know, a party or at, you know, a school pickup and someone will say, like, I've never told anyone this before, but, you know, and blah, like it all just comes out. I don't know if you know much about human design, but there are different um, personality types or it's kind of like a horoscope on steroids and there's 1% of the population that are called reflectors. And I am a reflector, which is... I'm one of those too. No way! <laughs> we are the very, very, very... Yeah small amount of uh, reflectors in the universe um people do this to us you know they seek us out and they share their shit with us because they get their answers from that sharing from that mirror um so it can definitely be a burden if you don't have the right boundaries um but I know how to hold that now and I know when to close that down or when it's not appropriate or when someone's just using me for free therapy you know, that's that's not who I am. It's really hard to hold lots of people's trauma and not take that on vicariously. Like vicarious trauma is a real thing that I've had to deal with with my therapist. So I've gotten really good at protecting myself. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, you'd have to. And when you started The Deep back in 2020, um, you introduced it and said that you'd had a lot of traumatic experiences in your 20s and that sort of inspired this fascination with people and their stories Mm. and sort of gave you the building blocks to go there with people. Yeah. Um, But you chose not to share your story personally at that point and it wasn't until last year that you sat down with Sean Zepps and, yeah. and talked it through. So tell us about that that decision, like why didn't you share it and then why did you? Yeah, okay, so 
Um, a little bit of perspective. So there's a a group of tr- traumas that happened in like a five year period. So I decided not to share them all. Some of them are not appropriate to share because people will be deeply impacted by my sharing. You know, I have to be respectful of others that are involved. Um, some of them are legal that I can't share things because I'm bound. Um, so the one that I decided to share, which was two years into the deep, was my story of survival of domestic violence. I decided to share that because I had created a community over two years of having them trust that they could tell me anything and I could hold it, be non-judgmental, be supportive, empathize, connect. And so I felt like I had fostered a community that could then return in return do that for me. Like I felt safe enough with them to do that. I felt like we all, which is so strange, but the community knew me well enough that if I was going to share something, they'd be able to catch me because it was super terrifying for me to do this. Um, I also did it on the deeper, which is my subscription. So it felt like the people who were there were my diehard true fans it wasn't just for the full public to know. It wasn't just for the Daily Mail or the Telegraph or for everyone to use as media fodder. It was like, this is a private space. It's also, we're going, pardon the pun, but it's called the deeper subscription because now we're going even deeper. Like this is a place where we're going to challenge even more of ourselves. We're going to look at the world way differently than we do even on the deep. And so I wanted to lead by example. And then I also wanted to share because a lot of people had questions. And the other thing was, you know, we were seeing the rates of death by the hands of a loved one, by the hands of a partner. It's such a excruciating rate. I think it's one a week now in Australia and it has been and there's Mm. been no change that I was like, we have to fucking talk about it. We ha- And I'm scared. I'm scared still to this day talking about it that my perpetrator will come and get me. Like it's never not there, that irrational fear of danger. And so it was intentional because I couldn't keep sitting back and not saying the thing and hopefully helping someone that had maybe a really misunderstood idea about domestic violence and, you know, those questions you get of like, why doesn't she just leave? Or like maybe she deserves it. Or, um, you know, maybe it's her fault. Maybe she was asking for it. All of those things that we hear and our culture is so ill-equipped to be able to support families in crisis. So, Yeah, it was a very intentional decision and it was fucking terrifying. I still haven't listened to the episode back. I cannot. Um, But, yeah, it was important for my community to do that. 
Yeah. Well, you, I mean, you talk about having a rational fear of, of your perpetrator coming to get you for that. I don't think that's irrational at all. <laughs> I think that's quite, that's quite rational. You've, you know, your nervous system has done the research on that experience and it's reasonable to be afraid of that. But were there any repercussions or consequences that you have had from talking about it from, from anyone or anywhere? Once upon a time, this was much many years ago. Um, I was doing a collaboration with Dish, which is an online boutique. I think they have some stores up in Queensland as well. And we were doing some T-shirts to raise money for domestic violence. And I'd shared my story and it was out in the paper. And I think I got a letter from his lawyer just saying this is a reminder that if you mention his name, you know, these are the repercussions of that. And so I've always been very skilled at being able to talk about it without implicating him or myself. The shittest thing is, is like I'm protecting him um, and forever will be bound for that unless I want to get really angry and change my mind and fight that to the death and I just have I've thought about that and I just don't think it is worth what it would do to me internally like I do believe karma is doing the job for me I do believe yeah I I don't have to do that because he will be his own undoing yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, because like, it, it wasn't as, as simple as un, as deciding what you shared and what you did because, like, you were legally obliged from from when not to from share who this when, person was. From when we separated. Right. Yeah, so when we separated, um, it, I was obviously in a very bad mental state and wanted him to go away and I just signed whatever he wanted me to sign. I didn't have the funds or the access or the support or the uh, legal representation to give me the right guidance, you know, and I guess that's a part of domestic abuse is you, you don't have the mental capacity to make sound decisions so you just do whatever you do in that state which can then impact the rest of your life and mm. and they've also probably done a bit of work to isolate you as well right so it's oh yeah it's, it's not as if you're you've got <laughs> support systems everywhere ready to tap in you know they've they've yeah. usually done that manipulation work early on yeah, you don't have, I had no access to money. I didn't have a job. I didn't have uh, my friend group, um, you know, he had isolated my family members, my friends, um, my my self-esteem, my, like everything. It's just so strange to talk mm. about now when I am in this very different life but it's this insidious way that slowly, you know, it doesn't happen. Like if someone met a psychopath on day one, you'd be like, I'm not calling you back. This is like, they're super charming. You think you're in love. They're very passionate. They are like, they love bomb you. It's, 
it, it's a slow burn to the point where you get to where the, the physical and sexual violence happens. Like it, it, they're very well, you know, they're crafting this over time in a very uh, intelligent way. So when mm. you do leave, you kind of look around at the devastation and you don't even know where to begin. You just know that you need to get out or you'll kill them or they'll kill you and you're just like, I'll leave everything. You know, it's kind of like if the, the a fire is, you know, burning down your house, you're not thinking like you're just getting out. You're just taking what you've the clothes on your back and you're running. It's that. I didn't even know back then because social media, I wasn't allowed it first of all because it was very early days of like MySpace and Facebook. I didn't have accounts, um, but I didn't even have like access to the internet. So I didn't know if there were shelters or hotlines. Like I've learned so much now about what services you can have to support you. Um, I was just out there like, thank God I didn't have children because I, I don't even know where I would have started. Like I understand why people stay. It is way harder to leave, but especially with children and you're thinking, is this going to result in homelessness? Is this going to result in me doing sex work to pay for accommodation tonight or for food? Like how do I get my ducks in a row? There is very little support in this country for women and family to survive this in a healthy way. You know, they're set up to fail. Um, So they go back. They go back seven Mm -hmm. times generally and on the last time many of them will be killed. It's it's just horrific. Sorry. It is horrific. Um, I think there's there's some things I, I think that, people can be confused about if if they haven't experienced this um, and let's hope most people have not obviously a lot of people have um, is that how you end up being vulnerable and susceptible to being drawn into a relationship like this like was there any kind of like you know cycle of violence or abuse in your past or upbringing or you know how did you find yourself yeah you know in this situation without implicating myself with a timeline i was i i didn't experience family violence which i know is definitely um like statistically a historical thing that lots of women and families go through like it's, it's a, a you know a perpetual cycle that that wasn't my personal experience but my experience was i was incredibly vulnerable in my life I was at a rock bottom. I was the perfect candidate for a, you know, psychopathic narcissist to clutch onto. You know, I was very, very vulnerable. And I think lots of women are in that position, you know. Um, It would never happen to someone like me now with the self-esteem and the support and foundations I have in place. It happens when you're completely off kilter and they swipe in at the perfect time. Like it's like they can sniff it out. Um, They go for vulnerability.
You mentioned he was um, psychopathic and narcissistic, and I think mm. for those that haven't encountered someone like that, like how cognizant and calculating was he, or is it so entrenched in just who he is that he can do those things and create a completely different reality for himself about what's really happening and what he's really doing? I think that it starts off like a passionate love affair, right? And it starts off with, you don't need to see your friends be with me or you don't need to go see your family, be with me. I'm going to go take you here. I'm going to go do this thing with you. It's just us. Like no one gets us. It's us against the world. It's this, or they'll go, oh, well, your friend, I mean, she's a bit slutty or she's, she does that. Like, do you want to be that kind of girl? Like how people think of you like that? Or, you know, it, these they start to kind of seed these things that are completely untrue or they'll be like, I feel really uncomfortable with you wearing that. You know, you're my girl. I love you to death. I don't want you to get like raped on the street if you have a skirt on or I don't want you to, but you know what? You don't need your job. You don't need to have your own thing. Like I've got you. You can depend on me. I, I, I am going to be everything to you. Or where was so-and-so when you needed them? I'm here. Like this, it's a real slow burn and you want to believe them and you want to buy into this. But then the fights are so outrageous and so extreme and you become a part of yourself that you, it, you, it, you're you disgusted by. Like you've had rageful outbursts because they push you and push you or interrogate you or call you names or give you silent treatment or you're reactive or standing up for yourself and it's all manipulated and then you feel so bad and so you find yourself begging to be acknowledged or spoken to after three days of silent treatment or you're apologizing for name calling back when they hit you or you're like, it's so mind twisty. It's so slippery Mm -hmm. that it's really hard to explain to someone that hasn't been in it. But I remember like Mm -hmm. throwing plates of food, smashing them on the wall and like watching this and just thinking, who are you? What is this? What is this? And just being mm-hmm. so ingrained in this toxicity that I couldn't even get myself out. It was just like I was the worst version of myself. Like I remember us fighting and scratching him to protect myself and him bleeding and being like, what, who, what, who, who, who is this person, you know, and, and being much further into the relationship and filled with so much rage or so much violence that like thinking I could kill him, like, like really believing it. And that was such a scary moment for me because I was like, I get how this can happen. This is we're in the red zone. Like this is super dangerous. Mm-hmm. We're re- we're on thin ice. Like one little 
moment of this rage tipping either side for one of us could be lethal. Like I get the statistics. I get how this happens. I get it. It was was almost like an outer body experience where you are sort of witnessing something that is so foreign to how you'd ever been that you just like, it's almost, you know, it's almost not real. It's hard to really connect and associate with it that that's you in that situation. Only afterwards, I would say you're so in your body when it's happening. You're so primal. You're so in your reptilian brain of survival that you're so in your body. You're not um, thinking with any literal consciousness. You're not there. It's afterwards that you're in the shock and shame and you're thinking practically again with how scary that was. You know, that is when it comes back. But when you're in like pure rage, and I haven't been there since that time, but that is a very like fight or flight response. It's a very like kill or be killed kind of human animalistic place to be that I just don't think many of us ever get to experience unless you're in a very violent situation, in a very dangerous situation. Um, But I understand how people are killed. And I, I, I don't want that to be a part of my life experience, but that happened. And then what happens after that is, you know, there's a lot of suicidal thoughts as well because things feel very hopeless and you feel very optionless. So it's a really fucked up place to be in and it's a really disappointing statistic that our government, our community, our culture doesn't care that much about women. It just doesn't. It's just not a priority. Like you can see even with sport and the Matildas and everything that we've done and huge amounts of money going into female sport, which is incredible and so it fucking should. But you're dealing with death and you're dealing with murder and you're dealing with crisis and you're dealing with family violence and there's nothing radical happening. You know, there's just nothing radical happening. We just don't care. So, you know, I talk about this a lot and it's it's just it feels very hopeless. It feels very hopeless. And I think mm. there's, there's still this misconception around um domestic violence that you know it's it's um it's a certain type of person or or it's um it's a lower socioeconomic thing um but it's like it's it's across all 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 genders all um you know levels of income um it could be your neighbor and and the fact that this is still happening behind closed doors every day and it still seems to be this unspoken thing that that people don't really talk about that it's it's just it's crazy to me and um correct me if i'm wrong zoe but like do you 
did you find during that relationship, because there's the classic ignorant comment of, you know, why didn't she just leave? And, you know, like after the first bit of abuse, why didn't she she just leave? But with that whole circle of abuse, there's because you have already had this this relationship with this person that you have loved and and like you've seen so many good qualities that sometimes those good qualities are still there. And, and so you can mm. have this this horrible, horrible fight. And then they can come to you and say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm going to change. It's not going to happen again. We're, we're going to have this future that's going to be perfect. And there's that hope that you want to hold on to that like, well, maybe he can change and maybe we can get through this. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. and he said, he's sorry. And then there's the, the constant cycle that, that it's almost like that, that little inch of of hope that maybe that good that is in that man will mm-hmm. be enough, um, mm. and it's just constant. Yeah, you find I, and it's still to this day there is a part of me that thinks he only knows what he knows. He's only been raised, but that feels very. It feels like an excuse and it's probably linked into my trauma response still. It's probably that part of me responding to that. But it feels like, look, I can only speak for myself, but the cycle of abuse happens because you're in love with them, because you love them. There is love there. Even when you leave them, you're still grieving and mourning the relationship or the fantasy of what you thought or wanted it to be. If you have children, you're grieving the family unit. You're, it's, it's so hard for a mother with children, let alone babies and, and very young children to leave logistically, financially, when they're like, I was just drinking or, you know, I'm going to go see a therapist. I'm going to start like the promises and the, you, it's so much easier to hang on to that bit of hope and go back into the cycle. I mean, it really, you have to believe it's really fucking bad before they go. You know, they've tried everything. They've done everything. And so for someone to turn around and say like, why doesn't she just leave? I promise you she's tried or she has. The danger that happens when you tell the police, the danger that happens when you physically leave the space, the escalation of the violence is so terrifying. You know, we saw, God, I want to get her name. Hannah Clark? Yeah. Hmm. How dare anybody say why doesn't she just leave? Like, why aren't you asking yourself, why aren't I raising my children to respect women? Why isn't my husband at the pub clocking his mate, saying something derogatory, making a joke about backhanding her? Why isn't he doing something to initiate a conversation that's a change? Like, Instead of pointing the finger at the woman, why aren't you taking responsibility? Why isn't our community going, how do I do something about this? How do I give funds to 
foundations or charities. Like I didn't mean to wear this jumper today, but Dangerous Females is a movement and a charity that gives money to families and women in this situation. Like why aren't you fucking doing something? Like what are you Mm -hmm. doing? And there are also so many layers to it as well. You know, first of all, there's the financial layer because oftentimes, as you were saying, the women don't have access to any money. So, okay, great. You don't have any friends and family around and you don't have any money. You don't have any bank cards. Where are you supposed to go? What are you supposed to do? You don't have any ID. You can't go to the bank and just open a open a bank account. It's it's not that simple. And there's also, um, there's a real thing that isn't talked about is, is the pets as well. So oftentimes women's shelters won't take pets which Mm -hmm. is fair enough you know there are lots of different people in a women's shelter um but that can be a real problem as well because oftentimes those pets are used against the women as well and the pets Mm -hmm. uh they're they're threatening to kill their dogs kill their cats all this stuff so it's these are things that you can't just write off that that these are real things that women have to deal with when they're considering leaving and Mm -hmm. it's Oh, it just does my head in when people comment about these things and they just have no idea, you know? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah, there's there's actually um a few pet shelters kind of um cropping up around the place. I'm 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 sure that, that there would be some in Australia as well. So like if you're really struggling, you can um you can put your pet into some some shelters while while mm. you go to a women's refuge or somewhere safe but um but that's just something that I had never thought about before I just I just Mm. hadn't taken the pets into consideration yeah it's very I I think like the the question is because uh, you know maybe someone who's listening knows someone who's in a a bad situation and feels completely helpless so I'd, I'd really like to hear like what you know what your friends are maybe thinking and feeling and if they felt helpless or if there was something they could do. But Mm. there's got to be a way that, you know, we have to stop being bystanders and whether that means, you know, having an uncomfortable conversation with a friend, you know, talking through some options or even, even like you can buy, what is it, at the Women's Refuge, you can buy like a night for a woman to stay like oh, that, that's wow. a way that you can donate so it's not a huge amount of money it's a manageable amount of money but you can you can make sure that a woman sleeps safely mm. for a night that's just even little things just to not be a bystander because domestic violence is so rife and when you yeah. hear about you know the po- police are constantly attending to domestic violence call outs like it's so common that it's almost like oh it's it's just so rife that can anyone really do anything you know but we have to find ways to not be bystanders yeah I think look firstly I have an episode on the deep where I asked my best friends that were present at the time of that relationship I mean it's a decade it was over a decade where this thing happened where we sat down for the first time and I got to ask them all these things you know, how was it to be a friend? What could you do? What did you do? What did you want to do? And they were young. You know, it's really challenging if you suspect something is going on. And this is the biggest thing I can recommend anyone do is do not pressure this person to leave do not judge them for where they're at because when the time comes that they do leave, you want them to feel like they can call you to go and get them. If you have 
pushed them and they have shut you down or pushed you away and don't have contact anymore, which will happen if you keep pressuring. They've lost that lifeline. What you want to do is you want to stay open as much as you hate seeing what you're seeing. You need to just say, I'm sensing something funny. Just know I'm here and just continue to be a friend. Don't keep saying it. Just they will remember that. And then you need to seek guidance on how to support. So there are lifelines in different countries that can help give you that support. Um, But the time comes when they call on you, you have to be ready, like to turn up. It might be them with a backpack and you just go and collect them or you meet them somewhere at a private location and you just take them in and they're at your place for a little while You just have to be available for when the moment strikes. There's nothing you can do for them to do it on your timeline. You know, it doesn't work on your schedule or what you think should be the right thing to do. Um, I think if you're really worried about their safety or you're noticing bruising or you're noticing, I don't know, something that's alarming you could make an anonymous call, but I would call up and be guided through that first because you don't want police to turn up and have that violent situation escalate and it looks like it was the woman that called. So it's just a very tricky, it's nuanced, you know, for it to be a friend watching this unravel. Mm, yep. For for you, how did you eventually manage to get out and how long did it take for you to get out and be able to stay out? So it took me eight months from the day that I left. I think I, I lost count of how many times I went back. I was in a very, very dangerous car accident leaving his home distressed after one of the return times and I was in a neck brace in hospital not sure if I was going to be able to move again um and he turned up um and was uh, mocking me in that situation and telling me how I had nothing and nobody except me and there was just this like I think because it was such a I don't know if I'd call it near death, but it was such a destructive moment, self-destructive, as well as, you know, alongside him again, that it was like, what is it going to take? You know, it was that, it was another moment of like, this is, the insanity is just never ending. And, you know, I still took some phone calls after that where he was threatening my pet, which was in his care, Um, and I had to let that go. And then he was threatening other really disgusting things, which it took me the final moment, and I'll never forget it because I know where I was sitting, where I was. I was in the car outside my dad's house and he was threatening to do these disgusting things to to shame me um, with my family. And I just said to him to do it. I said, just do it, do it. Like I, I, 
it just says more about you than me. So just do it. Just do it. Like you've got not, you've taken every belonging. You've taken everything I had before you. You took my dog. You've took, you've taken it all. Like do it. And I hung up the phone and he left me alone. It was the last thing where he just left me alone. Um, then we had the legalities and I just, I just take it all like belongings to me. I had, it was such a beautiful gift actually around attachment to things, you know, like superficial mm. things and everything is superficial, whether you, you know, it's apart from the sentimental things, you know, like family heirlooms or whatever, but it's all stuff. It's all replaceable. Um, and I just, it was another thing of having, you know, holding so and I just said to fucking take whatever you want like nothing my freedom and to be as far away from you as I can be and to rebuild my life is it so just take it all whatever you want I don't give a fuck And and isn't that incredible that like the the moment he gave up and just left you alone was the moment he realized that he didn't have control over you anymore. That yeah. he had he had nothing to hold over you yeah. to control you. And he thought and then he just gave up finally. Yeah. And and so what about coming out the, the other side, you know, you've 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 gone through this um incredibly traumatic experience. What about finding love again, you know, because that's obviously a new journey in itself. So how <laughs> how how do you know when you're ready? Yeah. For that? Do, do you ever I, feel I, ready? I think it's important to say as well that there's a huge period after you do leave where you have to deal with the trauma of what you've endured. So all of that comes up, like all that safety stuff, all of that paranoia, all of that physical healing, all that sexual abuse, adjusting to the things and the acknowledging and the shame and the all of it, like the night terrors and the therapy. Like there's a bit uh, before you even think about dating you kind of have this kind of adjusting period to the trauma you know you kind of go I just wanted to go head first into that so that was a period of my life that I was just healing and dealing with that insane moment in time um and then when I recovered I went, you know, the other side of the spectrum of like nightclubbing and dancing and wearing makeup and short skirts and being sexy and like not sleeping around, but definitely feeling in my power of being a woman again, you know, and just like connecting with friendships again and there was so much I lost so much lost confidence getting a job getting a car getting you know my license and IDs and a bank card and like all of the things and then saving enough money to rent my own little studio apartment like all of those wins um 
was so important. And then I remember being at a club and I think that Benji was actually one of the first guys I met after this period. And just meeting him, like such a goofball on the dance floor, didn't know who he was. He was daggy dancing and I fucking loved it. And he came up to me um, and used the worst pickup line ever. And I just thought like this guy is a real (laughs) geek, like he's got no game. Who is this dude? (laughs) And he was like, oh, you're a bit sexy. And I was like, that is so offensive, a bit. He's like, no, 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 no. I mean like a bit, like I mean you're like really sexy, like really hot. And I was like, oh, my God, he's like, he just has, he's got nothing. I mean, this poor guy. And he lied to me about who he was, what he did. Like he didn't tell me he was a footballer. He said he was a publicist, played soccer on the side. He had a kid. Like there was this whole elaborate story and there was something about him that was so fragile and I felt that in my own fragility and I thought and I remember it on the very first night I was like I want to show this guy love like I want him to know love and I didn't know where that came from or or it was very obviously I just met him but there was this thing in him I was like I want to like fill him up with that and you know, obviously then I found out he was a footballer and I was like, fuck, no, like I just can't, like I've just overcome this thing. Like I don't even think I have it in me to deal with that and with the kind of, you know, the judgment that comes with dating a footballer and it's just like all so gross. And then I really had to test my kind of, yeah, my own judgments around that and I I was very challenged by that, like, He's he's a he's a beautiful person and this is kind of an icky thing that you have to be comfortable with and not care what people think. And there was like, you know, it's it's it was a big thing. And then three months or two months after we met, his dad died of pancreatic cancer. And I it was kind of that initial thought of this fragility, and I didn't know where that came from, but he, we were very newly on dating and he flew me to Fakatane to this grief stricken household. And I'd lost my own mum to cancer a few years before that. And I was just like re-traumatized, but also so good at holding them in their grief and him in his grief. And I was so willing to stand with him. I mean, very deep-esque, right? Like just so willing to be okay with whatever came up for him. And he ghosted me and he was running away from being loved and couldn't handle any of it. And I was just okay with it all. And I think being so okay with all of the different sides of his you know, vulnerability and humanness and shadow was when he re-arrived back in my life twice, ghosted me twice, I, he was just like, she can handle this. She can handle me. She can take all of it. It, I am worthy of this love you know, and I think having experienced 
my own multiple traumas that I mentioned at the very beginning of this conversation and the domestic violence, like he definitely got the fucking shit end of the stick with my traumas, you know, like, oh, so, so, so much with, you know, like financial. I have this whole thing where I have to make my own money. I can't take gifts or you can't, um, I can't be dependent on you you know, and we've had this fucking tug of war, our whole relationship where I went back to work seven weeks postpartum. It's like deeply impacted my life because I don't want someone to feel like they own me. Um, and we've, we've had to have constant therapy around how safe I am, that he's not going to leave, that he's not going to, uh, trick me or manipulate me if he does something loving for me. Like there's been hard I'm hard work you know just as much as he was hard work and he still is in his own way he's he's really had to hold space for you know like I feel a bit emotional but like if I see something or if I am triggered by physical violence or something on tv or the other day he was playing around with me and he moved in a sudden way. And I just said, I, that felt very unsafe for me. And he was like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I was just playing. And he was, it was just so playful. And it feels like, it's just like, I'm shaking now. It just still feels so very real in certain times in my life that is very irrational. And he just has to, honor me and hold me and I remember driving past I don't even know if he knows this but I remember driving past where I lived with this perpetrator and my son was in the car and I got really emotional and he said what what why are you sad and I said someone was really mean to me in that house and he said who And I just had to clock myself and be like, oh my God, like he is, this is not appropriate to share with your five-year-old son. And I was just like, fuck, it's just like there, you know, it just kind of comes in waves and it hits you and you're just like, you have to kind of recalibrate and whoever is witness to that, that cannot be your child. That has to be your partner. And he still just has to deal with that, you know, like, he, it's a part of him and he hasn't been able to hear my story on the deeper. He read it once in the newspaper and he felt like being physically violent towards this person. Um, and it's just unfortunate that it's a part of our story, you know. It's something that he just has to accept. Mm. And I guess that's like... When you love someone, you accept them fully for for all their their past experiences, all of their their all strengths of and flaws, and just all of it. You know, mm. there's and and that's that's really beautiful that you found that now, and that you can that you can feel safe with him to say that felt unsafe and and upset me, and that he 
he's not going to say, oh, it's, you know, like it's not a big deal. You're overreacting. He's going to listen to you. Yeah, and, I know. And, and accept how you feel about it. And that's just, isn't that incredible that yeah, he's where you are he now? is like a gift from my mom. Like he is the, and I say that because she's passed away for context, but he is just uh, like this man, this man is the most incredible fucking human being, you know, and father and and just person. He's just the most wonderful person. Um, and I feel like if I had to go through that to get this, you know, everything is worthwhile. Mm. Oh, I wish I could just give you a big hug. <laughs> Thank you for, for being so open. And like, I really think that people listening to your story will get a lot of strength from it if they're going through yeah. something similar or if they know yeah. someone going through it. Um, yeah. You know, it's yeah. it's really important to to hear people that, that have gone through it and come out the other side mm. happier than, than they ever could have been. Yeah, mm. I'm definitely... A lucky one. Yeah, for sure. I'm one of the lucky ones. I know that. I, it never goes past me that I, I survived and, and I'm I'm safe. Yeah, I'm, I'm lucky. Living through what you've lived through and, and growing through it, processing a lot of that stuff, working, going through therapy, all of that, how do you feel that that now puts you in a position and contributes to the sort of intentional work that you do now on your podcast, The Deep, and, and with the people that you speak to you. Do you think you could have done that, what you're doing now, or been compelled to do it if you hadn't had the experiences that you've had? No, I don't think that I could hold the conversations without the multiple traumas being lived through. No, no way, no. I think I've always been curious for the type of people I've wanted to talk to. Like I remember driving through William Street as a little girl looking out at the sex workers and just wanting to talk to them and, and know them. But I don't think I'd ever have had the depth to hold what comes up in the conversations on the deep without this. No, I don't. I don't because I think you have to be really okay with the shadow of yourself. You have to see the darkest parts of yourself and be okay with them to be okay with another's. Like I'm not scared of humans, of, of the human condition. Uh, I thrive on that. I love that. The darker, the uglier, the more scarred, the more fucked up, the more I love you, you know, and I, I think I can only be as willing and open and okay with that because I've gone through the shadow of that myself for sure. Mm. What does it mean to you to do the work that you do? Because I, you know, listen to the podcast and I really recommend our listeners to get into it because, um, man, those are some insights behind closed doors that you may never otherwise get and, and to hear from these people and hear the humanity in these people from all these different backgrounds and stories, it's it's extraordinary. Um, yeah, what does it mean to you to bring that to people? I feel so privileged. I feel so humbled um, to 
be the one that facilitates the conversations. I know what it means to the people that are sharing. I know how much courage it takes for them to to do this. I know how healing it can be for them. I know the profound effects on the listener and our community. Like I get those messages every day of I I could be that person or that was me, that was my husband that was a meth addict. You, 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 you shared my story without me sharing it. I feel so seen, I feel so heard or I judged drug addicts and now I understand like I've you've disarmed the way that I see the world like you've changed the way that I see the world like that is like holy shit I mean enough for me to not get paid for three years (laughs) you know like (laughs) enough for me to be surviving with paying for a team to create this work at the level in which it is created at and to forego myself you know I think I this is the third month that I've gotten paid and I've already had to take a pay cut which is I'm totally fine with um but I see the value because it fills me to my core you know yeah well I guess like it's it's not like there wouldn't be that many brands that would be like yeah cool I'll sponsor you know like his <laughs> talks about like sex workers rapists yes. meth addicts like yeah sign me up it's yes. like it's not yes. exactly like a corporate corporate dream I know it's so it's such a funny thing and I think because you would know this getting sponsorship for podcasts is difficult as it is because it's a new advertising medium people don't understand how it works but it's fucking the way you've got to advertise like we have the most committed audience of all the audiences mm. um but you're right you're like today's episode is on a gangbang you're like who's going to <laughs> sponsor this put your hand but, up don't rush forward <laughs> but um we do we do still have brands because they go you know what hundreds of thousands of people are listening every month fuck it. Like, (laughs) all right, we'll go in and do this. And, uh, we see the ROI on that. So it's coming together. Um, I have to say that that subscription model has been a godsend because firstly, my community is honoring and acknowledging that the work, whether you get that for free or you pay, they're like, girl, take my dollar 25 a week take it. If it's going to sustain you to keep giving me the show that I'm addicted to, take my dollar 25. And then they go, holy (laughs) moly, the deeper is way, way juicier. It is the best, you know, episodes. It is the most hardcore content. It is the things you would never be able to get for free. Yeah. Take my dollar 25. So that has been, you know, I, we are, I, I believe today, globally, the most successful independent subscription um, where uh, I think a, Apple is using us um, as a case study uh, internationally. So we've had incredible support on that. It is the way that we survive. Mm. Um, we have to survive. Uh, and it is my number one priority that the deeper is the most premium content and is 
over exceeding expectations. I want you for your dollar twenty five to feel like you are getting your money's worth because there's a lot of subs out there. Why are you going to go to me? I want you to. I'm over exceeding. I'll give you what you want. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, we are actually there's something super exciting. I don't know when this is coming out, um, but there's a new offering I wanted to create for the community, which was a private event for me to connect with them directly. So, you know, podcasts, there's, it's not live. So creating a live event where we get to discuss the very, very real feelings of human suffering, you know, being unfulfilled and disconnected and all of those things. And then having them walk away with some tools to practice that week or the next week and come back and be like, that fucking changed my life. So that's the next offering because I'm feeling like our people and your people that are listening are those uh, that are curious to develop self. And I'm always on a quest to make myself better. And I've got so many tools in my little tool belt to share. So something I'm really excited to share that's coming out as well next I think in two weeks, three weeks or something. Yeah, that's beautiful. And and I guess um, I suppose we'll have to wrap it up, although we could go on forever. <laughs> um, but um, untidy is all about honouring the person within the parents. So I guess from what you've just said, you know, it leads in nicely to going, well, you know, how do you honour that person within you as a parent? What are the tools that you use to sustain you and nurture yourself? Oof. Um, support. So being very vocal about, you know, with Benj, I had a bit of a breakdown this year, an existential crisis, if you will. And I was not well and I was not happy and I was very unfulfilled and I didn't understand the purpose of life, which is a scary place to be in. And I went away and had my nervous breakdown and came back with a lot of good tools. But I sat down with him and I just said, every morning I am going to need this amount of time before the kids I'm like in mum mode. Um, if you don't want to see a reoccurrence of that episode. Uh, and so that means that I have my time to journal slash meditate in the morning, move my body and kind of land before I go into work and parenting. Um, and I think with asking for what you need and creating the support for that is the most crucial thing that we do. I think our culture doesn't allow women to ask for any kind of help. Um, and that is the reason I created the event because we're all suffering, but in isolation from each other and not wanting to admit it because we can't actually have the, the very small things we need to create self-esteem, to create, you know, a healthy mindset. Mm. Um, and so I think it's time for parents to reclaim their time and their support because we are shitty parents if we're not um, mm. healthy, we're not mentally sound. And then you know? everyone loses right? It's like, it's like the oxygen mask thing, yeah. right? It's that whole analogy. Like we have to fucking, I haven't eaten today. It's 1230 here and I've got a 1230 meeting and that's a problem. 
like I'm bleeding profusely and I haven't eaten, but my kids have eaten twice. (laughs) And it's that thing of like, it's a constant, I'm still failing at it, but it's a constant thing of like, girl, eat. Have you done your wee-wees like to yourself? (laughs) It's like, have you done your wee-wees? Have you had your shower? Like, have you, I've journaled, but I haven't eaten. Sometimes you've got to pick, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think there's those, ba- our basic needs are often neglected and we're like, oh, okay, I know I'm trying to like get a bit of me time, but I'm scrolling and I'm in like a TikTok hole for two hours. You know what? I'm going to put a boundary of like 30 minutes on the scroll and I'm going to go to bed an hour and a half earlier. And I'm, I think it's like, we need a bit of discipline too. It, it, it's so wild being a parent yeah. because you're so stretched. We need a bit of like discipline as, as for ourselves to, to prioritize. 100% because we're so busy setting boundaries for for our kids that sometimes it's like we just turn into this free-for-all, you know, that like <laughs> that we're just kind of floating around like on our phones at night because oh we're just like, oh, all our like responsibilities are done and now I don't know what to do and I'm just scrolling and being a fucking idiot. And it's like, yeah. where, where are my boundaries, you know, like yeah. I don't and where's my- myself. And where's my discipline? Like, have you had your water today? Yeah. Have you, like, it's so crazy when I think about the basic things of instead of going on the phone when you're taking a shit, like, why don't you think of three things you're super proud of yourself by? Like, why don't you set a neural pathway in your brain to to create some self-esteem? Yeah. So that self-esteem makes you drink the water to take your probiotic, to eat the food. Do you know what I mean? It's like we're in this, like, constant cycle of survival and then we're clutching at, like, me time, wine, chocolates, scrolling, which is, and I get it because I do it all, I do it all. But what is it that is actually feeding us with the sustenance we need to be better? And so I'm really interested in that that part of it, especially for women, because we've got all of the things of like you superficially looking good and exercise and doing the meditating and being a conscious fucking parent and giving them whole foods. And But like at the end of the day, how are you even – going to loop those things together if you've not even given yourself a second. So I'm working on it. I'm creating it. I'm creating it because you know why? I need accountability. It's like a cheats guide. If I create this event where we meet every week, I will do it because I'm making you do it. Yeah. We're all we are accountability partners. Then yep. hopefully we're building out a community so you find your people. We're all together. Mm. You're like, you know how hard it is to find find friends when you're an adult, that you're in the same like weird world or like Mm. situation of like toddlerhood, parenthood. I've lost myself, my identity. Can I go back to work? I haven't, like, I'm going to just put us all together in a group and you're going to find each other. That's what's going to happen. That's beautiful. That's so good because there are so many times where you meet someone as an adult and you feel a connection. You feel like, I really want to be friends with this person because I feel like we've got something going on. But like, what do we do with that information? You know, do I ask for their number? Do I make it? Do I ask them (laughs) Yeah, but you just actually have to. You have to. You do. Say, should we hang out? You do. You know, because the other person feels it. What if we could like create the deeper self like lunch 
and everyone, and there could be like phases. So everyone that's got like a kid under one, you all go to a fucking park and the kids are mental and you just sit down and you talk to women that are in a fucking mental stage or you're like about to go back to work and you're shitting yourself and then you go have, there's that crew. You know, and as you evolve, you're meeting your people that you're developing Mm. with through the stages versus I went to high school or I went to uni or I went to my my crew of girls now, like half of them are partying or none of them are married and I can't bitch to them about a husband situation and like, or I'm getting divorced. <laughs> Where are my, my divorced mamas? Like, let's get together, you know? So I'm building out yeah. community really slowly because, you know, there's a lot to do and I haven't eaten lunch today, but slowly we will do though? it. I haven't. <laughs> I should change my fucking pad in a minute, you know? <laughs> <laughs> just get out the mat, take your pants off, just have a free break. Girl. My assistant walks in. I've just actually like texted my bless my my nanny's downstairs with my daughter. I was like, can you heat me up some leftover pasta from last night? I've got a Zoom at 12 30. Um it's 12 34. So um I love you guys, yes, but I really should let you go. Yes, no, 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 totally. <laughs> okay. Um so it's been amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your story and your life and your purpose and everything that you've got coming up from the date. We just, we love the show. We encourage everyone mm-hmm. to listen and oh, um, it's you. just been a real pleasure to have you on. Such thank you. Thank you, beautiful thank you. women. Thank you for listening to this episode of Untidy. Make sure you've subscribed to the show and your podcast app. That really helps us grow this beautiful community and means you'll never miss an episode. And make sure you're following us on Instagram at Untidy Podcast and follow Zoe at at Zoe B. Marshall and at What's the Deep. Don't forget to check out the Deep Podcast. And remember, we really love hearing what you think. So slide on into our DMs at Untidy Podcast on Instagram or email us at hello at untidypodcast.com. We'd like to thank all of the good people that make this podcast possible. Flicker Williams and Joe Rocker at My Big Moments for the super slick artwork and design. Kirsten Johnstone and Melody Thomas at PopSock Media for co-production and editing. Sound mix is by Will Saunders and big thanks to the whole team at Rover for hosting us on air. Matewa. Hi everybody, it is Zoe here. Change is coming to the deep. I want to welcome you to Arise. It's uplifting, it's quirky, it's curious. It's all about the mindset and self-discovery to be more helpful and of service. During 16 of the Deep, you will hear some of these episodes and I'd love to hear what you think of them over on our Instagram at What's the Deep.